Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here, joined today by the co-founder and CEO of a company called EverPrep. We have Johnny Corison here with me. Johnny has an interesting background, beginning with naval service, followed by some interesting innovations and startup activity. Rather than me talk about it, I want to hear you talk about it. Johnny, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And I've loved your podcasts in the past. I hope I do justice to your previous co-hosts and guests. Yeah. I uh, mean, imagine, imagine how I feel. I have to keep up with all of you guys. But we always begin, if you're a listener, you do know that we always begin when folks are first on the show, hearing your hero's tale, how you got to this point in your professional life. Can you catch us up on who you are and how your career relates to the world of education? Yeah, absolutely. I am an accidental ed tech entrepreneur. I scratched my own itch like most people do in this space. Necessity is the mother of all invention. A bit of the origin story involves me being a career counselor to a thousand Navy sailors who were in this kind of corpsmen, which are the medic category of the military. So I was a career counselor and someone came to me and said, hey, look, I'm a bad test taker. And if I don't pass this next exam, I'm going to be kicked out. There's an element called higher tenure, where if you don't promote, you get the boot. And mm-hmm. this was a, a stellar sailor. I really enjoyed him. He was good at what he did, but he just had terrible exam anxiety and just didn't have the time to prepare like he needed to. So that, that led me to the market. And I looked at what was available. It was 2015. There was no app. There was no website. Even the way that sailors prepared was to purchase a book. It was about 400 pages of questions and answers with an answer key at the back. And I'm thinking, yeah, this is 2015. I had just launched a quiz game for children called Quiz Heroes, Japanese RPG. In my mind, I thought I'm going to repurpose this quiz hero and give it to this sailor. But what happened was that I found a person who had just launched an MVP product called Blue Jacketeer. I met Alan and we just hit it off. So he's the into my yang. He really enjoys product and tech. I really enjoy the business and strategy. And that's where it all started. We built a product over the next six years. And yeah, as you know, we, we sold that to Kaplan. And then from there, the next iteration is the same co-founders, EverPrep. Can you describe a little bit about what EverPrep is? Yeah, absolutely. The genesis of EverPrep was a conversation that Alan and I had So he's the visionary. He had this vision for a suite of products. And what we had learned was that the technology infrastructure we built for Blue Jacketeer was far too complicated to scale. And that's because it's more appropriate to understand the Navy advancement exam as 780 separate exams that are administered to sometimes hundreds or thousands at most every year. So we had built that, but it wasn't built to scale. So we went from the ground up and built something that was built to scale that we could iterate across. And so we built a platform and strategically we bifurcated the intellectual property and the entities in a way that would allow us to sell Blue Jacketeer in the future. But our goal was to provide a product to adjacent markets to the military. So military members separate into emergency medicine, police, and fire at a high rate. So we thought, yeah, that was an easy next step. That is Code 3 Prep. And we launched that three years ago, pulled it down, mothballed it, built the platform, launched it again as EverPrep NREMT. And when we did that, we realized that, in fact, the author of the content 
was far more connected to the consumers than we were. And we saw her ability to sell her own product as the future of EverPrep. So we built truly a platform that anyone could use and we're not the best ones to use it. So instead of going direct to consumer, we built a creator platform that allowed her to monetize and add Intercom as a customer service integration. And yeah, that's the origin of EverPrep. So it's a test prep platform for providers who are both prepping on the content, but then also the test taking strategies. And I think our listeners know, I, I spent many years within the Kaplan mothership specifically in test prep. So that is an area that I do have some domain knowledge. We're going to have a lightning round later on, Johnny. Can you describe your thoughts on just the broader test prep market? What has the market missed in terms of educational opportunities like what you have with EverPrep? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'll defer the credit to Alan in this aspect as well, because he had built a product that the foundation of which was spaced repetition in multiple choice questions. Mm -hmm. So space repetition is very popular in, in flashcard form for mm -hmm. like Duolingo learning yeah. languages, Brainscape uses it even, and for a long time, Andrew Cohen is a, a genius in the space, but we applied it in multiple choice questions because that was the format that the student or the adult learner would then take the exam was multiple mm -hmm. choice questions. So we wanted to provide both an effective study and also a preparation for a three-hour exam. Mm -hmm. And to do that and provide practice exams, we saw it, I think, from a non-traditional perspective. And that's because we didn't go to the market and see what was available for students because they were just books for us. Yeah. So we came at it from a, a very different perspective. So that's the answer to your question is what's different about what we do? We approach it from a very andragogical approach, an adult learner who needs a proving ground between knowledge acquisition and knowledge application. So this isn't tr truly a learning environment. They're not truly learning. What they're doing is they're applying what they've already learned and they're doing it in a way that is bite-sized, that is applicable to whatever their scenarios, self-paced and personalized. They can, and I say they, adult learners can just pull up their phone, study 10 questions in line at Subway. It's not the same sit down, watch a 30 minute video, take a 10 minute quiz. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not the approach we took. Question banks first, practice exams and video PDF as supplemental material is very much our differentiator in this space. Yeah. And then also when people think about standardized tests, they frequently think about the big ones, you know, the SAT and even I just saw, we'll get into chat GPT a little bit later, but it, it's basically taking all of the USMLE and bar exams, which is another whole dimension for us to talk about, but that's sort of the one side of the curve. And then when you look at the long tail of tests that are out there, one of the things that initially attracted me to the work that you're doing is you were talking about the sommelier exam and so this, right. the idea that there is an extremely long tail when you get into the world of certifications and qualifications, the world of work is transforming really fast and the cycle time is increasing in terms of the disruptions around jobs. But for pretty much all of the jobs that people aspire to, there is some kind of hurdle. There's some kind of expertise. It's frequently an exam. Can you talk about that too? Because it does seem like there is a long tail opportunity here in terms of your strategy, which is cover really anything that an individual might decide to prepare people for and let the market 
go where it needs to go. That's right. And that's what I think the next iteration of exam prep. So 2025, the next few billion dollars in this market is going to be created by creator educators. And, and that's because all of, especially these new exams that are generated maybe by industries, for instance, solar panel installer, it takes time for a large educational publisher to adopt that measure of quality content delivered as a product. And it can be done within a matter of days sometimes at a creator educator level. So I really think that's the future of exam prep specifically, enabling those who are practitioners, educators, but also entrepreneurs. They are the, they are the ones in it. And so Blue Jacketeer was for sailors by sailors. And with EverPrep, every market can have for sommeliers by sommeliers, right? Yeah. And to your point, I, I like to say I'm a nerd of the niche. And on Wednesdays, I post about niche exam prep products, niche exam prep spaces. And I think it's just an opportunity to broaden the perspective of an individual who doesn't find themselves in this unique category. Mm -hmm. Because I'll give you an example, 400 people-ish take a California-specific geology exam. So an exam to be a geologist in California. And you might think, yeah, that, that's one small piece of the pie, right? The long tail, as you said, there are tens of thousands and an increasing number of exams added to the landscape. And who's, who best to adopt the exam prep and deliver it? Creator educators sharing those spaces. Yeah. And your founder's tail is very much tied to that. And now in terms of your platform strategy, moving more to a SaaS-based platform as a service makes a, a ton of sense. And then the other emerging trend, you know, where we can maybe talk about VR or sure. the blockchain, but the one that's really top of mind for everyone nowadays is generative artificial intelligence. ChatGPT came online in the fall of 22. It's a few months out there. I've been kicking the tires on it. I know you have. Maybe similarly in the role of what would an expert in a domain do with this tool if she or he was trying to launch a prep course. What have you found so far? What are your thoughts on some of the emerging technology trends that are, are hugely disruptive by my reckoning? Yes, hugely disruptive might be an understatement. 20 years from now, historians will look back and see ChatGPT, or I think generally generative AI that was catalyzed by ChatGPT because of the ease of adoption. Yeah. And I'll tell you the story because I think it is incredibly relatable to those people who I find on a regular basis. We had met with some people, we mentioned AI. In fact, when we sold Blue Jacketeer, one of the potential buyers asked, hey, why don't you just use AI to generate that content? And at the time, it wasn't good enough. It could not contextualize, it could not provide in multiple choice questions. And to be honest, writing detractors for multiple choice questions is difficult. It's mm -hmm. more difficult than writing the right answer, right? Mm -hmm. Answer explanations. So there's quite a lot to writing multiple choice questions for item banks that can be 2,000 questions or 10,000 or like we did with Blue Jack Cheer, 400,000 unique questions over the course mm -hmm. of five years. So what happened was ChatGPT came up and it, it coincided with a, a bit of a lull in our Techstars experience. It was Christmas break, but as you know, startups don't really take breaks. So I'm sitting at my computer and I see the kind of froth around ChatGPT. So I jump on. We've been having this conversation a lot recently is an individual who comes to our platform may not be 
best suited to create the content. They're best suited to deliver the content and add some value to the adult learner who reaches back out to them. Hey, can you explain why this is the example or why this is the answer and not this? But the content creation itself is it's, it's a large lift. Mm-hmm. It's a large lift even for educators. You know, we're talking to community colleges. You know, they are educators. They are traditional educators who see the, the opportunity to build 2000 question banks as quite a lift. Yeah. So that was the problem that we had. And I don't know, serendipitously, ChatGPT landed on my lap. I am not a technical founder. If I can adopt ChatGPT and use it in content creation in a way that changes my life in the course of two weeks or, or a month, I think it really is the future. We can talk about my experience more if you like. Yeah, I'd love to hear that because I've been <laughs> playing around with it and it is changing the role of, of humans. I saw Shelly Palmer, no relation, talk about prompt crafting as the emerging skill That's of, right. of the year. When I hear prompt crafting, I think about doing knitting on demand, but that's that's an entirely different meaning of the word. But the idea that humans are going to have to interact with this tech, and if you're resourceful and you stick with it a little bit, you can do a lot. It sounds like you were able to prove the model a bit. Can you explain a little more what you did? Yeah, absolutely. And to your point about prompt crafting, I've noticed that specifically so user-generated content is important. And I think what you're finding now is that those who have adopted ChatGPT, and in my experience, MidJourney. So MidJourney is generative AI images. If you go to MidJourney's Discord and scroll through the examples of prompt crafting, in a matter of minutes, you can learn how to input in a way that really you know hones in on what you're hoping to be the output, right? And so I think that's really the key here. I do want to make two points, though about just chat GPT in general. And, you know, these are just my thoughts. There are contrarian viewpoints out there. I've run into a few recently, but just to be clear, as an early adopter of chat GPT or open AI in general, truth is not an output if it is not an input. Mm-hmm. For multiple choice questions, what we found was we really had to, and we know this because in the military, the source material is open source. So if it's not distribution limited, you can Google the document. That is the source material that the Navy uses to build the question. So it just makes sense. Read that. And if you understand that, you know the content that'll be on the, the exam, right? Yeah. Just generally broadly, and this is, I think, what happened in multiple choice question using generative AI before ChatGPT, training the model to only pull from from truths, from facts, facts mm-hmm. that are current. Because if you don't say current, then for instance, if you're building a real estate exam for Colorado, if Adams County tax code changes, right? ChatGPT currently doesn't distinguish between what was and what is. So I learned that fairly quickly in my, my initial test. But so here's what I did. I sat down and I thought, okay, what are other federal exams? So there's a website that allows you to look at the 11,000 licenses that are in America alone. I sorted for federal and I found the FAA, it's an aviation mechanic. So they take a series of three exams and the source material is open. So I thought, okay, if I can tell chat GPT to only pull from that source, then I'm not worried about it also pulling from a blog that talks about how the best practice for aviation mechanic technicians is actually this, yeah. right? Which is, I think the issue right now with current adoption of chat GPT and content creation is that that kind of idea that it's pulling from human sources that are 
I mean, in this day and age, entirely truth. And the combination that it's frequently definitive and wrong. Right. And, and then apologetic and ready to move on. Okay, yes, oops, my bad. Let's go. Let's keep going. You know what? And in fact, timely you say that because OpenAI just launched their version of, I don't know what they call it, the AI tag or whatever. Yeah. Right. So they can tell you if it was written by AI. We tested that out. It was wrong. It was <laughs> Yeah. So I think that's a really important place to start. The perspective for me is content generation. And I need to understand that, again, truth is not the output if it is not the input. Mm -hmm. And also output is not the end state. So that's an important also. So those are two categorically important truths that we are going into it with. If output isn't the end state, whatever is delivered to me as a human, you know, as a business person, I'm going to be required to ask a subject matter expert editor to at the very least put his thumb up or her thumb up and say, this is a good question. And so the first iteration of our ability to adopt this will be that, mm -hmm. will be when I went to the chat GPT and I told it to very specifically draw from a source material that was published before the snapshot, by the way, right. that was also like a limitation right. the version. I had to go, well, which one of these were published, you know, back in 2018 or 19 and this source material was. And as you can probably imagine, they don't change the way that you, you know, deliver maintenance to a, a, an air, aircraft very often. Although it is interesting, like the, the lack of currency was clearly a choice with the release of OpenAI, where the promise of it being more real time and or you just point it to a current website and it's able to work off of that. We can't be too many iterations away from some of those types of breakthroughs that's going to have implications to the future of work. And that's going to have oh, yes. implications to preparing people to be job ready and to get those certifications and those, those capabilities that really open up opportunity in their future. Looking a little bit further out, you seem like you've been thinking about some of this stuff. Thoughts on the future of work, thoughts on the nature of jobs and certifications and the best way to really address the skills gap, I guess, is part of what Sure. You're really talking about here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And just to be clear, OpenAI is a for-profit company. So you can imagine their rollout strategy with a freemium viral yeah. product like ChatGPT that leads to a subscription is a very profitable way to go. Yeah. yeah. All you're getting is a teaser. And I'll be honest, it teased me. So, and, and not to mention, it will create an augmented form of Clippy that I'm already afraid of with Microsoft's involvement right. but yes as long as it winks at me every time i i, I like ignore it for 10 minutes i'm okay with <laughs> yeah to, to your broader question i have been hesitant to accept that ar vr is the future of skills assessment but this is my personal view i've experienced some of that I've, i know some companies are doing this well and they're really on kind of the front end of actual skills work there's a, a company called edify who's doing this for training hospitality workers and from the Philippines, bringing them to the United States and giving them really solid jobs. Yeah. And they're doing it in a way that's very scalable. There is value there. I don't think that is largely applicable. A lot of what we're talking about in these skills, take a welder, for example, the method of confirming the skills of a welder is I think very applicable and analogous to what will the future be for these skills assessments. It takes a human. It takes a person, a subjective and an objective. So there has to be, I understand this, but there also has to be, I can apply this in a real world setting. Mm -hmm. I think that's the future. I think 
once education adopts kind of a competency-based approach to a lot of forms of career pathways and talent pipelines, I think then you will see industry adopting that type of uh, skills assessment in the talent acquisition. So it'll be an expectation that eventually hiring involves an assessment, but also includes a human or an apprenticeship or an internship to qualify that the education does have value in a real world setting in the context that they need that individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. It also reminds me of adaptive testing and personalization as someone who's gotten under the hood on these tests in order to prepare folks for them. That's something that's been out there already for right. 10, 15, 20 years. There've been these personalization adaptive tests, thinking about how that has not necessarily opened up to all learning journeys and opened up right. through broader platform plays like what you're doing. Any thoughts on the future of adaptivity, personalization, and how that might be AI powered? Yeah, at the risk of leaking trade secrets, here's how we kind of plan to initially use generative AI in that respect. You can build question sets based on cognitive level. So I can ask ChatGPT to generate questions at an eighth grade cognitive level or a 12th grade or high schooler. And then the exam itself can't tell you what cognitive level it is, it's probably higher than an eighth grader. Yeah. So what we plan to do is eventually not just build a base set of questions that our creators can come on and plug and play and drag and drop and deliver to their students, but also essentially three versions of the same question that derive the same response or answer or ask the same question and deliver to a student when we know, when EverPrep knows that a student is not understanding this concept or this, let's start just with a subtopic. If you are not getting that subtopic, let's lower your cognitive level a little bit and just explain it a little bit simpler mm. and see if you can understand the concept and then elevate and then elevate again to what we understand to be whatever that e exam level is. So that's one way that we can personalize this immediately. Mm. Mm -hmm. And it also, you said that it's been around for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. We use spaced repetition as an algorithm. In fact, the product officer came on to build the product itself came from the Allen Institute of AI. And one thing she constantly told me is, don't tell people this is AI. It was very clear yeah. and I didn't know. I'm like, hey, is this AI? It's adapting. No, yeah. no, no, it's, it's algorithmic. It, yeah. it seems very personalized, but it's only algorithmic, right? Mm -hmm. I think the future of this space is that individuals, content generation will happen while the individual learns. And you can imagine a student, you can imagine a classroom full of 10th graders. Everybody's at a different level. Everyone's producing a different type of output, but the education that they're being provided by generative AI is very individual yeah. and it's textualized. And here's another fun thing, Michael, again, trade secrets. We've been talking to a lot of people about the nurse space and how it's difficult for ESL. It's difficult for those who don't speak English as their first language yeah. to get the concept initially. They can apply that once they have the knowledge, they can apply that. Look, Chad GBT can add cultural context to question sets. Right. So instead of having, when John arrives to a patient, when Juan or when you know, Kevin, and it can very specifically say, look, you need to learn. And the best way for you to learn is in your own cultural context sometimes. Yeah. Now, eventually you'll have to apply that in an exam and that's the next step. But yeah, I think that's the future. Yeah. It's an interesting time. It does feel like there was a breakthrough. I do remember back 2007 when the iPhone first came out, 
I remember I had an early tea time with a father and son who both had their iPhones with them. And I remember just thinking, this is the future. I haven't really had as much that feeling really until just now. It does mm -hmm. feel like we're entering into a new wave. And that's where, as we think about what we need to do as educators, as learning professionals, as learners, and yeah. as folks who are going to have longer and longer careers, it's really a time to reflect and to maybe reimagine what our role might be, what the role of humans might be. Heady times, Johnny. We're getting close to conclusion here. <laughs> Anything else out there that we haven't talked about that you think is interesting that you want to make sure our listeners hear about? And then I think we'll get to your closing remarks right after that. Yeah, you know, I think the philosophical question of generative AI is only just now approaching those people who have spent a lot of time, Noam Chomsky and some others. So there are really good thinkers out there who are applying significant amounts of experience to what is happening now. A simpleton like me, my favorite explanation was every business needs to have a plan for generative AI in the same way that businesses eventually said in the early 90s, yeah, I'm not going to use the internet. So RIP Blockbuster. Exactly. You want to be on the right side of history. Wonderful yeah. conversation. The name of the company is Everprep. The website right. is everprep.com. That's right. Delightful. Uh, Johnny Corson, also, great follow on LinkedIn. For those of you who are interested, track him down. He's posting regularly. I always like to close by giving guests a moment to reflect back, give folks some takeaways before we move on with our lives. Final thoughts from you as we wrap up here. Yeah, if you have to take one thing away from this conversation, I think it's this, that the future of education includes choice, includes optionality. Students are going to expect that. So I think companies and educators who can adopt systems that allow them to offer choice in especially these career pathways, I think that is the future. And I'm happy to jump on board with you if you're interested in joining that. Awesome. Respect for the dignity of work, reaching all of our learners where they are, and hopefully helping folks find solutions in the long tail of test passing and test certification, credentialing through tests. Johnny Corson, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, Michael. Awesome. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed what you heard. If you did, please subscribe, write us a review, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.